as you know, we are busy with our series on the life of Moses, and this is our third um, sermon, third gathering that we're talking uh, about the life of Moses. Now, um, the first topic that Johan talked about was uh, Moses' birth and his calling, um, the, the famous burning bush episode. And if we just think back quickly and try to, to recap um, on, on that, um, and before I do that, I see Celia picking up a Bible. So I, there are some Bibles all around, and there are more on the bookshelf at the back. Um, as Anu said, we'll be reading a lot of scripture tonight, so um, yeah, please follow in your, in your Bibles or grab a Bible somewhere if you don't have one yet. All right, so um, the, the, the birth and the, uh, the calling of Moses. So the, the message that Yuan boiled it down to or that, um, the, yeah, that he said came out in that uh, sermon was that God is the God who sees. Um, it, he mentioned how the word uh, Exodus, the name of the book, um, is, is the Greek version, but the Hebrew is actually the... Um, the, these are the names. That's the, the, the name of the book. The first few words in the book also, these are the names. It's the God who, who sees the slaves and who gives them names, who gives them dignity. He, God also uh, reveals his own name, Yahweh, to us in the book of Exodus. Um, so we have that picture of God, that revelation of the character of God, the God who sees the slaves, um, slaves being, you know, just a number, just something that can be discarded without identity, and God gives them identity, makes them a people. Now, after that, we went to the ten plagues last week, um, and Johan showed us how the ten plagues um, and the whole story of the Exodus is not just about political liberation, but also um, and especially about spiritual liberation for, uh, for the, the Jewish people, the Israelites. So God, um, through the plagues, brings judgment on the, on the Greek, I mean, on the Egyptian gods, the Greek gods as well, but they were not applicable then. So um, God brings judgment over the Egyptian gods uh, in, through the ten plagues. And then we saw how he liberates the Egypt. The <laughs> I'm going to get my people groups right. He liberates the Israelites from these false gods, from Egypt, from slavery, so physical labor, but also from the slavery under the Egyptian gods. And then he teaches the Israelites right worship. And that's where tonight's uh, topic comes in. Tonight we're going to talk about the Passover and the 10th plague. And we see there how God uh, teaches them right worship. He, he shows them what is the... So he now, he's seen them, he's liberated them, or he's in the process of liberating them, and he's now teaching them what does it mean to, to be a people who is seen, what does it mean to be a people who is saved from slavery. Now, as we read through the text, um, and the, so the applicable chapters are 11 to 13, chapters 11 to 13, um, and I will be selecting some few 
um, uh, passages from there, so we won't be reading it throughout. But as we read these texts, I want you to listen for three things. So see if you can see in the narrative, in the story, these three things. The first one is that the Passover shows us how God mediates his presence. So look for signs of God's presence and what his presence means. The second thing I want you to look for is how um, the Passover shows us how the sacrificial system works. So look for signs of, um, of the sacrificial system, of sacrifices that are needed. And then the third thing I want you to look for is the idea of ritual, how the idea of ritual comes out in the Passover story. All right, so let's open our Bibles in Exodus 5. We'll be reading a few verses in 5 and then jumping on uh, 4, sorry, Exodus 4, and then jumping to chapter 13. I mean 11, <laughs> but I'll tell you as we go. Okay, Exodus 4, verse 21 to 23. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, so this is now after the burning bush, and uh, Moses is now being sent back to Egypt to, to liberate the people, and the, the ten plagues are now ahead of us. It hasn't yet happened. So when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now, this is said even before the, the plagues take, take place. All right, let's page, a few pages on, to chapter 11. Let's read verse 4 and 5. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Then we continue reading in chapter 12 from verse 21. Chapter 12, verse 21 to 29. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. 
As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And then verse 42. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And then a few verses in chapter 13. Let's read verses 1 and 2 in chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And let's continue in verse 11, 11 to 16. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, The Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt." All right, so what was the first theme that I asked you to look for? The presence, the presence uh, of God. Now, as we mentioned, God is uh, the God who sees, the God who saves. And now he wants to teach his people, the Israelites, correct worship. Why is that? Well, the thing is, God is stepping into their presence now. He's he's coming and saying, I'm not just revealing myself to Moses or to a specific person. I want to be in your midst from now onwards. And we see this theme, you know, repeating itself and being built out and so on in the tabernacle and the temple and all of that. Um, And all of the the temple uh, culture and the sacrifices and everything. God is stepping into the presence of his people, and he wants to now dwell amongst his people. But there's a problem. He is holy, and they are not. No one else is holy, not the Egyptians, not the Israelites. No one is holy. And the thing about God's unmediated presence is that it will lead to death because he is holy. And that's, that's what we see in um, chapter 11, verse 4. We read it, um, but I'll read it quickly again. 11, verse 4 says, So Moses says, Thus says the Lord, 
About midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. I will go out into their presence, in their midst, and they will die. And the same would have happened to the Israelites, but God gives them a way out. He gives them um, something to do which hinders this death or which makes him pass over their houses so that they don't die. How does he do this? That brings us to the second theme we had to look for. What was that? Sacrifice. So we see how the Israelites, how God tells the Israelites to choose a lamb, to get a lamb that is without blemish and to kill it. A lamb in return for your life. The Egyptians lose their lives, the firstborn. The Israelites don't because the lamb lost its life and the blood is being uh, put on the doorposts as a sign. So they are redeeming their lives, the lives of the firstborn, with this lamb. So God says, if you don't want death in your house, then kill the lamb, because I am coming into your midst, I am coming into the land of Egypt with my full presence, and that will result in death. So choose a lamb that's without blemish, and then cover your house, or um, mark your house with the blood of this lamb. And then eat its flesh. Take this lamb, and cook it and eat the symbol of your redemption. This symbol that, that God gives, the lamb which, is, which redeems the life. Eat it. And not only that lamb, uh, God builds out the spread. He says also unleavened bread. So together with the lamb, you have to eat this unleavened bread. And we'll say more about that in a bit. And that brings us to the third thing that we were looking for in the text. What was that? Ritual. Yes. So this event is, is very applicable on that evening. That evening God is coming into the land of Egypt and the firstborn will die. If you don't want your firstborn to die, kill this lamb and cover yourself with its blood. It's very um, immediate. But then God says, do it again next year, and again, and again, and again. So this, this um, sacrifice is being made every year. It's being done repeatedly. Both the Passover and this Feast of the Unleavened Bread is being done repeatedly. Why is that? Well, the first, first thing that God says in the text, it is to remember, to remember that night. Because I know you, you are people and you're going to forget. And you're going to get stuck in where you are <laughs> in the desert. And you're going to forget what I did for you. So do this every year on this evening, um, in this month, to remember what I did for you. But there's, a, there's another reason, and that's because the blood of the lamb isn't sufficient for, forever. It, it lasts a year, apparently. 
you need another lamb and another lamb and another lamb and another lamb because it's just not enough um, to, to cover our sins or to um, put us in this position where we can be in God's unmediated presence. And that's because the blood of the lamb cannot take away the sins of the world. Now, this is a very, very, very pivotal uh, text and event in the rest of the Bible. Why is that? Why do I say that? <laughs> because it's true, yes. <laughs> but something specific happened, which kind of links to this in, in more than one way. What is that? The crucifixion, yes. Jesus. So the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread is a symbol and a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus comes hundreds of years later, thousands, and he fulfills these signs. When John the Baptist sees him at the beginning of his ministry, before he's done anything really, he says, behold the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1, 29. Now, at the Last Supper, which is celebrated on the evening of Passover, on the evening that the Israelites had to go out and um, slaughter this lamb, on that evening, he announces to his disciples how he is both the Passover lamb and the unleavened bread. Let's read that. Let's go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26 verses 26 to 28. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now in a in a different encounter, Jesus uh, tells how the leaven represents the sin, so the sin in our lives. So the Israelites had to um, clean their houses of all leaven and bake these unleavened bre uh, bread and had to eat it. And this leaven, Jesus says, represents sin. So now Jesus says, I am this bread, this bread without leaven, this Life without sin, I am it, eat it, because it is my body. Also reminds us of, of the lamb, eat the lamb. But then he, you know, he, he goes on to the, to the wine as well, to the blood, saying, this is my blood. Eat of it, drink of it, partake in my, uh, in, in my body and in my life that is without sin. Now, that's wonderful. <laughs> that's wonderful. That must have been a very, you know, heartwarming supper. Like, wow, Jesus, thanks. And then, it doesn't stop there. The next day happens. And that's, that's the important part. He said it the previous evening. He said, eat this, drink this. He instituted uh, this supper, this symbol, 
but he makes it true. He adds deeds to these words the next day. Through his horrible torture and his terrible death, he becomes the slaughtered lamb. He becomes that lamb which had to be sacrificed and with which the people had to cover themselves, cover their, their houses in order for death to pass them by, in order to redeem their lives. Now, through this deed, through this sacrifice, Jesus introduces something that we call the new covenant. So, at first there was the covenant, um, the one with Abram and, uh, and Moses. It's, it's all of it is the same covenant. Um, and the prophet Jeremiah writes something very interesting. Let's read that uh, in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31 from verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The law is no longer on our hands and on our foreheads, as in Exodus 13, verse 16, where it says, um, the, the law and these signs shall be as a mark on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. These signs and this seal of the law, um, this sacrificial system, the, the lamb and the law that are on the tablets, it's, all of it is outside of us. Even its signs is on our hands and our foreheads. It's outside of us. It's an external covenant, in a sense. In Jeremiah, he says, no, God will bring a new covenant where the law, laws are now in our hearts and in our minds. It's not on tablets anymore. The, the bar is raised it's, it's, it's not easier. If it's on tablets, they can only be 10 because that's how big they are. If it's in your heart and your mind, um, yeah, it's infinite. It's a, it's a harder law to keep. And it's, it's internal. Now, Hebrews, the, the author to the, um, to the Hebrew Christians in the book of Hebrews expands on this. And we read about this in Hebrews 10. Um, and why I say he expands on this is because he quotes it. He quotes Jeremiah, the words of Jeremiah, and then he adds. He says in verse 10, and by that, and we see previously with that he means Jesus' death, and by Jesus' death we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, previous verse we read these are the sins and the lawless deeds, where there is forgiveness of the sins and the lawless deeds, there is no longer any offering for sin. The sacrifice on the cross, which Jesus foregone with, the, with saying that these signs, these, this Passover lamb and this unleavened bread, um, he is those things. He becomes those symbols, or he fulfills them at least. That sacrifice was sufficient once for all. Paul writes to the, uh, the Christians in Galatia uh, that the law... And when we speak about the law and when he talks about the law, it implies the sacrificial system as well um, because they went together. They couldn't keep the law, so they had to make, make sacrifices. He says that this law, the sacrificial system, was a guardian until Jesus came. It was like an, an overseer, a guardian that God gave for his people until Jesus came. And in Romans, Paul expands on this. Romans 7 verse 6, he says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This presence of God, which he initiated with the Hebrews in Egypt, I mean, his presence was already in Genesis as well, but he, there's definitely a new kind of dispensation where he wants to dwell with his people, with all of them in their midst and dwell with them. Um, yearning back to Eden, to the Garden of Eden and that presence that he had with, with mankind. This presence of God um, in, in Egypt and in the wilderness that he wanted to be with them now dwells in us. It's not outside anymore. It is in us, in the way of the spirit. We are set free from, the, from captivity that the law and the sacrificial system brought over us. And Jesus is the one that made this possible. Jesus was the mediator, the sacrifice, so that we can now be in God's midst with confidence. We can with confidence know that the spirit is in us, that the sacrifice was sufficient, and we can go into this presence with confidence. So what now? How do we respond to this? Paul tells us, Paul to the rescue, Romans 12. Paul tells us in Romans 12 how we are to respond to this. Verse 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God wants communion with his people, his creation. He wants to be with them. As we've seen, this is impossible because of his holiness and our corruption. But God made a way 
through Jesus, who is the ultimate sacrifice. Now, in response to this, we give ourselves completely. We give ourselves as living sacrifices. Now, the order in this story is very important because the redemption came first. The lamb was slaughtered long before the law came, before God gave the law on Mount Sinai to Moses. The way was already prepared. The, the lamb and the yearly feast, the annual feast of Passover, feast of unleavened bread, was already instituted. God gives us the ticket before he gives us the, the law or what we have to do. And the same with our lives, the same with us on this side of the crucifixion. God makes the way and now he says, okay, now because of this uh, once for all perfect sacrifice that I have given, the law is now in your hearts and in your minds. Now, this means that we now constantly give our lives as a sacrifice, not because it's needed in the sense of um, if we don't do it, you know, we, we might, or we won't be enough. That's not why we give it. It's out of response in gratitude, Paul says. It's we give ourselves as a living sacrifice. We constantly renew our minds. We listen to this law, this um, spirit in us, convicting us of things. We listen to him and we lay down our own lives and our own wills and we discern God's will. Now, there's another thing about our response and that brings us back to the um, to the third theme that we looked for in the texts, and that is the theme of ritual. Because the sacrifice was, was sufficient. We, we don't have to sacrifice today or, or in, in March or whenever Passover is. We don't need to sacrifice a lamb. But we do have another ritual that we, um, that we still observe and that Jesus instituted. And that is, of course, communion the Lord's Supper. Now, at the Last Supper, Jesus said that this is to become a ritual. He said, do this in remembrance of me. It's once again the, the thing of remembering, reminding us uh, what Jesus did for us. So in, in a moment, we will go, um, we will have communion as a, as a congregation. But before we do that, I just want to um, mention one last side note, um, which shows something about this old covenant and the new covenant and how they differ. And that is uh, when we think about where the, the Jews did the Passover. Where did they usually make the sacrifices? At the temple, right? On altars and at the temple and so on. That was, it was done by the priests and it was in this um, holy place and the sacrifices were made there. Where is the Passover held? In their houses. 
in the homes of the people. So the, the, this feast and this sacrifice is not done at a temple. It's done in the homes amongst the families. It's not done on an altar there outside, far away. It's done in the families, which shows something about the personal impact of this specific um, tradition or this feast and this sacrifice. And Jesus, with whom does he celebrate the Passover on that evening? Is it with his family? No, it's, it's not with his blood family, it's with his disciples. He's showing very, something very interesting there, and that is that um, we, on, there's, a new, there's a new order. We are, now, we are now a new family. He celebrates Passover, which is usually done in families with his disciples, with people who are not his blood family, but with people who are now part of his, um, his family, his new family, the new uh, bro his brothers and sisters. With those people, he institutes um, the, the Lord's Supper. So let's go to um, our last text for the evening, 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul writes about communion to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 32. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This, is the, the, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So before we give out the, the bread and the wine um, and this, the signs of the of um, communion. I want you to take this text very seriously, and that is to examine yourself, as Paul says. He says, judge yourself truly. You know, the law is now in your heart and your mind. The spirit is, is dwelling in you. The spirit is convicting you of things that is not in line with this law. And Paul says, judge yourself truly so that you will not be judged. So don't, don't say like Pharaoh, 
Who is this God that I shall, should obey him? What is this voice in me? I'm just going to ignore this. I'm not going to listen to this. Don't harden your heart like Pharaoh did. But judge yourself. Listen to this voice and say, yes, I'm in the wrong here. I'm not following the law of God here. So that you will not one day be judged. And when you are convicted of something, rejoice because this means that you are disciplined. And in Hebrews we read, it's a father that loves his children that disciplines them. So when you are convicted of something, rejoice in that. So that you are disciplined so that you are not condemned at the end, um, at the end times together with the world. And respond truthfully to this conviction. Respond to God. Repent of what you have to repent for. And make peace where you have to make peace. Respond truthfully to whatever the Lord brings up in your heart. Because Jesus came to liberate us. He's convicting you to liberate you of those false gods. Lord Jesus, you are the ultimate sacrifice, the sufficient sacrifice. You are holy and we are so broken and so corrupt. But Lord, through your blood and through your body, you have mediated your presence for us. You have made it possible for us to live with you, to live in a relationship with you. And even more than that, you want to dwell in us. And Lord, as we now have communion, as we remember that evening and that day and that weekend of your horrible death, but also the wonderful path that you have opened up for us. Lord, I pray that you will convict our hearts of whatever sin is still dwelling in us and whatever gods we are still worshipping. Lord, it, it looks different to each one of us, whether it's our careers or money or whether it's a relationship or sex or our goals or our future or our families. Lord, show it to us that we may lay it down, that we may, that we may live in full confidence in your presence, Lord, and live as people flourishing in the presence of their creator. Lord, so we thank you for, for communion. We thank you for this sign, this ritual that we can go through together. And yeah, we now take the bread. And this is the words of Jesus. This is my body, which is for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Lord, as we now eat this bread, we thank you for your 
for your unblemished life. That you became human and lived a life on earth, a perfect life. Lord, you were tempted and you were human. You hurt, you had emotions, but you did not sin. You lived the perfect life. You are the perfect unleavened bread. And we eat this bread in remembrance of that and in gratitude for what you've done. And now also take, take the, the grape juice or the wine and we read the words of, of the Lord. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this or do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we don't want to crucify you over and over again. Your sacrifice was sufficient once and for all. And that's why we respond to that by sacrificing our will, our lives, our bodies, by giving it to you, Lord, laying down our own desires, the desires of the flesh. Lord, and we, we proclaim your death. We think of your triumph over the grave until you come, until you, until you come again. Lord, show us what this means. Show us this week what we still need to lay down, where we are not renewing our minds constantly, where we are not discerning your will. Lord, I want to ask that you keep on convicting us because we know it's because you love us, you discipline us. Lord, that we may constantly soften our hearts, that we may not have hard hearts like Pharaoh, but that we may have a broken spirit before you and be open to the law which is in our hearts and in our minds and of which you convict us if we are not in step with that. And we know that in all of this, you were the first mover, you were the one who laid open the path of redemption. And we are ever so thankful, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.